Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts that guide the global pork industry. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineWeb.com, your one-stop destination for all of the latest swine news, commentary, videos, events, and industry hot topics in animal health and feed. Log on to SwineWeb.com today. And Innovative Heating, the manufacturer of Hog Hearth, the most energy-efficient and only antimicrobial heat mat for the swine industry. Reduce maintenance costs and lower your electric bill today. For more information, visit hoghearth.com. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rhoda, your host for today's episode. Today, we are going to talk about measuring what matters, how the invention of the Knauer caliper for sow body condition scoring transformed animal well-being. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Mark Knauer. How are you today? Uh, pretty good. Yourself? Doing fairly well. Doing fairly well. Good. Well, before we kick things off, would you mind talking a little bit about your background and, and how you got into the swine industry? Yeah, I grew up in southern Wisconsin on a 50 sow pure line operation. We had Hamp, Landrace, and Yorkshire swine. Uh, we used to test pigs back in the test station back in the day. Um, we were involved in, in showing Landrace at the national level. Uh, we sold to commercial producers, and uh, that operation has since evolved um, with the changing times as well. So uh, big background in pigs growing up. Showed pigs at the fair, then uh, went to Iowa State and NC State for my degrees, and have now circled around back to to NC State to work. So, so today at NC State, what is the majority of your your research focused on? Uh, here I'm a swine extension specialist, so I do research and uh, applied research and extension programs, uh, pretty much genetics and uh, production management. So I work a lot with genetic companies such as Smithfield Premium Genetics to do applied type swine research, uh, swine genetic work, and then work a lot with the large production systems throughout North Carolina to do applied type research that can uh, potentially look at technologies that improve their, their profit. And I feel like I have to ask because it's just what everybody's in, into right now is before we get into our topic for today, how has COVID-19 impacted uh, your day-to-day? So I was just talking about this with my grad student a few minutes ago. It, it really hasn't impacted myself too much. My wife is a nurse, and so she's going to be going back to work here after maternity leave. Uh, just pretty much the same as normal. Not quite the same as normal, but she'll be going back to work. Uh, I work a chunk from home as well. So I haven't been able to get out on as many farms. That's been the biggest limitation. And then we don't, generally we would go out to eat quite a bit as a family and we haven't got to do that really yeah. much, a lot of drive through, but so really we haven't been impacted that much, but uh, really thinking of people across the country that have been impacted. Luckily, hopefully, hopefully agriculture is not getting impacted that much and potentially a good time for people to potentially draw it draw new employees in from non-ag backgrounds saying that, hey, we agriculture doesn't shut down for anything, so. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, it's been interesting to see how many uh, 
layoffs there have been outside of agriculture and agriculture is an area where we do uh, need a lot more people. And so yeah. there's, there's a lot of job opportunities. And so I was thinking about uh, our topic for today and I can't seem to find a whole lot of uh, research or papers that don't have your name tied to body condition scoring. So if you, if you wouldn't mind, uh, could you explain what is body condition scoring? Yeah, traditionally, uh, sows used to be housed outside and then we brought them inside and we brought them into gestation stalls. And um, in gestation, we don't give sows as much feed as they want. Otherwise, they would, they would just be enormous. Um, and so we got to limit feed those sows in gestation. And traditionally, it's been done by using a visual score which is fine if you're good at it, but if you're not good at it, it's going to cost you a lot of money potentially. And so um, being able to come up with an objective evaluation of sow muscle fat and weight, uh, I think has helped some producers that weren't doing it very well. It's helped them be quite a bit more profitable. Now, how do thin fat sows affect uh, production and day-to-day -day economics within the sow farm? Uh, thin sows, they're potentially going to have poor farrowing rate. Um, they're a potential animal well-being concern. So we definitely want to avoid thin sows. The fat sows, though, they hit us twice. Not only do we spend a lot in feed costs getting that sow to be fat, but she's going to have poor reproductive throughput. So thin sows are bad, but it's those really those fat sows we want to stay, stay away from because they hit us twice in the pocketbook. I was talking the other day with a researcher out of Michigan State University, and they were doing some computer vision to identify thin um, versus uh, fat sows and everything in between uh, headed into farrowing. Uh, one, one of the thoughts, though, from many of the individuals we talked to was that uh, by the time they get into the farrowing house, it may be too late. When is body condition scoring too late? What is the proper timing, um, and how, how is that all approached the right way? So it depends perhaps a little bit on your, your system. If you have group pen housing and electronic sow feeding, if you measure that sow at weaning and you know what your feeding curve should be, you can potentially measure her once and set her on her feeding curve and she'll be ready to go pretty much that next lactation. If you're putting your sows in gestation stalls, you might want to score them three or four times throughout the the, uh, the cycle. So I would measure them at weaning or at breeding or close to there. So that way you can identify the thin sows that you need to bring up to condition and keep everyone at ideal or keep them from getting overly fat. And then sometime in mid gestation, either you're going to check them once or twice in mid gestation. And then about that day 90 or 100, you need to go in and check them again because any sows that are thin, you want to make sure you get them fed up before they go into lactation. Um, so you don't have any thin sows going into lactation. So what, what are our producers using to identify sows that are too thin, too fat? Uh, maybe how did that used to be done? How is that done today? Uh, visual assessment is traditionally been used by far. There have been producers that use the like the Renko lean meter to measure back fat. Uh, the caliper came online. Oh, we invented it about nine years ago and it's been distributed pretty widely across the world. 
And so the capu the sow caliper has gained quite a bit of popularity, uh, still quite a bit of visual assessment being done. A little bit of uh, Renko lean meter, the back fat meter being used, but I think the caliper has is, is replaced it quite a bit. Uh, they both work well. It's just the, the caliper uh, is a little bit easier to use and it saves you on labor, quite less labor cost. So would you mind talking a little bit about the caliper, um, more so from the origins uh, to where it is today? I mean, what, what gave you the idea um, and how did that all kind of start? Uh, that's a good question. I, I really just thought about sow condition for a really long time. About 10 years ago, I was working at the National Pork Board and uh, in a very nice, comfortable position and had more money than I could spend in a year and had more time on my hands than I do now. And I just kept thinking and thinking and just one day this idea popped in my head and I just happened to be living with my old college roommate uh, who just happened to be a engineer who just happened to have the CAD program that could draw up the original prototypes for the sow caliper. So what was that like getting that first implementation of the caliper? Did, did you work with any universities, any particular producers? Uh, how difficult was that? So the, the first prototypes, I actually, uh, right in that same year, I switched jobs from the National Pork Board to North Carolina State University. And I had two large production systems out here. They're very welcoming to allow me to come in and, and work with them and develop the tool. And, uh, and really, we developed it with, with very little or no funding. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was, it's pretty remarkable how little funding we actually never uh we had we put in like three or four research grants for the sow caliper and none of them ever got funded so we never really had any uh research dollars nobody ever funded research towards the sow caliper i find that incredible that something that is as influential as the caliper in today's uh production systems didn't get funding and yet we put so much funding into things that are just answering the same, the same old story over and over and over. It, uh, it, it's, it's wild that you were able to accomplish this without any of that funding. Uh, rare, rarely do, do things not have bumps in the road. Were there any uh, pivots or challenges you faced along the way um, in making that first prototype? Anything that surprised you or came out of left field? Really, we really didn't have that many bumps. Uh, we're on version three right now, but we still sell a lot of version two. Version one can work, but there's a few things that aren't perfect about it. Uh, so we're not making version one anymore, but we really didn't, it's, it's such a simple and crude tool. Uh, we didn't really have that many bumps. It was just a matter of, uh, well, the biggest question was, you know, were people gonna use it and was it something that was useful? And I think our, our sales have kind of answered that question. But really, uh, no major bumps, and that might be aided by it was just such such a simple, crude tool. So what changes there were there then between version two and version three? Uh, so the, the version one, the dial portion was just a little thin. So if you drop that, you could potentially bend it, which would throw off your measurement. And so we've discontinued making version one. Version two had the handles, and version both version one and two had the handles. Uh, but in some of the other countries, 
we saw that people weren't using the handles. They were just holding the, the caliper on the sow by the middle of the caliper. So we decided, okay, we'll make this caliper uh, less heavy. We're gonna make that caliper lighter, easier to use, and also less costly. And so we just cut the, the handles off on version three, but we still sell both version two and three because some people like the, the version they started with. They don't, they're a little bit resistant to change, which is fine. So for people who aren't listening then, can you maybe describe how it's designed and, and how, where on the sow it's placed? Uh, how is this used? Um, what, what processes must, it, must you follow to successfully implement uh, the, the caliber uh, protocols? It's, it's relatively simple. You have to be able to locate where the last rib is on the sow. So after you palpate oh, a, a couple hundred or 500 sows where the last rib is, you pretty much know where that last rib is. As long as you're within an inch or two of that last rib, you should be fine. And so you just find the last rib, you put the middle of the caliper on the backbone of the sow, and you take the measurement. One thing we have added uh, here in the last year is we had a producer here in North Carolina came up with the idea to put an extension on this third version of the caliper. So it's a, it's a 30 inch extension and you can put it right onto the caliper and uh, you don't have to bend over to reach that sow. And so it makes it that much easier. So we're continually trying to improve and hopefully this is the last improvement that we have to make. We, right now we have a light caliper and we can put it on this 30 inch extension and you don't have to bend over the sow. It can work in pens. I never, I never thought the sow caliper would work in pens, but it can even work in pens now with this 30 inch extension. So then after you place it on the sow, um, you're, you're, you're weighing feed boxes and doing some other tasks as well, right? To continually gauge that, uh, that measurement. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a few different ways you can use it. Uh, Right now we're recommending that people, everybody typically has um, green, red, and blue spray paint on their farms for different things. And at first we were telling people to, to mark every sow in the middle of the back so you know what condition she is. And now we're telling people, you know, maybe you just need to mark those thin and fat sows. So if you don't have that many thin and fat sows, why you don't have that many sows to mark. But that way, if you put a mark on the middle of her back, at all times, you can walk into any place in the farm and, and tell what condition a sow uh, was measured at the last time she was measured. But then that's how you potentially score your sows, but then you need to be weighing those feed drop boxes weekly if you're in a gestation tall stall type situation where you have gestation boxes to know what that those feed boxes are weighing. Because if you get diet changes uh, that can impact how much uh, a certain volume of feed weighs. And so by weighing those feed drop boxes weekly, um, that help you, helps you keep up to date with whether you need to be reducing feed or increasing feed if you're getting changes at the feed mill for, for different ingredients. Now you mentioned that this was uh, in Asia and North America. Where else is this device? and um, where is it being implemented? So we've sold uh, sow calipers to 34 countries throughout the world from my little office here in North Carolina. And all of those sales have been word of mouth. We haven't spent $1 on advertising yet. 
we've had some companies uh, take and promote it within their, their systems or their genetic systems, but word of mouth has been responsible for 100% of our sales. That's impressive. That's not easy to do. So, and it's, it's, it's not a get rich type invention. And so really you have to have that kind of, <laughs> there's no room for advertisement. So the people using the tool are making the money, not the people making the tool. So. Understood. So, I mean, the whole purpose of the tool, right, is to ensure that sows um, are healthy and therefore um, we, that way we can have as low of a sow mortality rate as possible. Uh, how have you seen sow mortality change um, over the past 10, 20 years? And uh, when we look at it today, uh, what other things are, are still, still a major concern? Oh, the sow mortality question. It's, a, it's an interesting question. When I first came to North yep. Carolina State nine years ago, I was all excited and, and pumped up about reducing sow mortality. And here we are eight, nine years ago, and now it's a pretty hot, hot, and bucket, hot, uh, hot button topic. So things kind of cycle, and right now the, the sow mortality piece is pretty hot. Um, in relation to body condition, I mean, if you keep them in the right body condition, that's going to help some. But I think really those sows that fall out of body condition, those sows that suddenly become thin, um, the body condition is potentially just indicating that something is wrong with that sow. So what I tell people is uh, if you're in the farm and you see a sow that's becoming thin, you need to investigate why she's thin. You know, you need to potentially go put some feed in front of her to see if she's got an ulcer, to see if she can eat. Uh, just try to troubleshoot what's going on with that sow. Because if she's got an ulcer and can't eat, you need to get her on a coal truck as soon as possible uh, for her animal well-being and to potentially get some, some dollars out of her market value. So I think body condition can be used as a tool to help diagnose, to help identify sows that have issues and then further troubleshoot what's really going on with them. But as far as related to what's going on with uh, uh, sow mortality, uh, taking a step back, I don't have a ton of numbers behind my, my observations or my, my thoughts, but I think we need to make these gilts just a little bit more robust going into these commercial production systems. I see a lot of sows that are just a little bit narrow made. Uh, they're just average on their feet and legs. They're not they're built okay. They're just not built great. That's a little piece of the puzzle. But then I think the biggest piece of the puzzle is on-farm labor is tight. And stockmanship skills can be challenging in some systems or variation within systems. And you really need to look at every sow every day to, and then be able to do something with those sows that are in trouble to help keep your sow mortality down. I really think the stockmanship piece is a pretty big piece of the puzzle when it comes to sow mortality. And do you think this, uh, the, the enhanced labor turnover or uh, difficulty in accessing skilled labor just because markets are so tight uh, with low unemployment, uh, I guess prior to probably a month ago, uh, do you think that makes it harder to provide the uh, optimal uh, stockmanship that's necessary? Um, how, how how difficult or how easy is it to train someone to know what to look for? That's a good question. Uh, when it comes to training 
potential stockmen, some of these skills take time and they don't develop overnight. So yes, the turnover is definitely an issue. But then within those people that you're training, you have to have someone that have some, has somewhat of a passion for what they're doing. They have a passion for animal care, uh, passion to want to learn, you know, how to identify these sows that are uh, potentially need to get into a better environment. And then within, within these farms, once you find these sows that need a better environment, you need to have a designated place for them to go. So out here, we got one large production system that raises, uh, was way ahead of the curve on the sow housing as far as changing the group housing. And they house their sows in small pens. So when those, they see a sow that needs an issue, you know, they might put her in a gestation stall. But then these other, other places where you have gestation stalls, you might want to have a few pens, uh, treatment pens for those sows to go into. So I think having treatment, designated treatment pens within sow farms, combine that with stockmanship and we'll better stockmanship and we'll be headed in the right direction to helping reduce our sow mortality. And that actually kind of segues over to, to a question I kind of wanted to get your opinion on. Uh, when, when we look at success in the pork industry, what does that look like today? And I, I guess, how, how do you feel like that's changed over time or, or has it changed over time? It's, I think perhaps some of the things we, we talk about or focus or give time to may change, but I think success can still largely be ex explained uh, the same as far as we have to be profitable. We have to be profitable or we're not going to be around. We have to take care of the animals. So if we're profitable, and we take care of the animals, I think that pretty much, that largely defines a lot of our success. Make it sound so easy too, right? There's so many <laughs> yeah, things that go into both oh, of there those. there is. <laughs> there is. So I guess if you had one golden nugget for pork producers, um, industry partners, consumers, you may be listening today, what would it be and why? So, well, I really, I really like this question and I'm going to, target it towards pork producers. So I've worked on different sides over the years. I've grew up as a pork producer. I'm on the research side now and I'm, I'm fairly biased towards research. So I think as producers, I think they need to continue to invest in innovation. So if you look at where innovation is coming from in the pork industry, I'd argue there's not enough. I see companies like Swine Tech and what you guys are doing, and that is just awesome. But there needs to be there needs to be more. And so I think producers have an opportunity as far as if they want to get better, if they want to be more profitable, that they're gonna to have to invest in some innovation, whether that be at the company level or at the academic level or or some level. I think there's more room for for innovation in the swine industry, and that's going to take some funding dollars perhaps to get that done. It'll be interesting to see what innovation comes out of everything we're going through today um, in regards to biosecurity, remote support. Uh, how can we how can we manage things as best as possible remotely, uh, especially from a veterinary perspective? But 
I'd agree. I think there's so many things that can be done today to, to move the industry forward in regards to innovation. Yeah. And there's some, some real simple things that need to be done. I think we just, we really need to get together and make a list of simple things that need to get done. I mean, for instance, you're working a lot with piglet survival, uh, farrowing crate size. You know, there's a million farrowing crates in the U.S., but how much research has been done as far as what the right farrowing crate size is? Seems like a simple question that we should really have the answer figured out, and I'm not sure that we do. Agreed. We've been looking for a lot of information around around areas like that, and there's not always a, a clear uh, answer to a lot of those questions. Yeah. Well, it's been, it's been wonderful having you on the Popular Pig Podcast. I really thank you for your time and the ability to listen to your story and have you share your expertise with us. Well, I very much greatly appreciate the opportunity, Matthew, and thanks again for, for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. Therefore, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com and subscribe to receive updates when new episodes are available. Today's episode is brought to you by sponsors like SwineTech. Leverage the power of computer vision, voice recognition, and real-time behavioral monitoring to reduce mortalities and labor inefficiencies in the farrowing house. For more information, visit swinetechnologies.com.